Think Tank with me, Steve Adubato, is brought to you by these public-spirited organizations. The Northward Center, the Healthcare Foundation of New Jersey, founded by the Jewish community. PSENG, committed to providing safe, reliable energy now and in the future. TD Bank, MD Advantage Insurance Company of New Jersey. Berkeley College, education prepares us to reach our dreams. Be inspired. And by the Fidelco Group. Promotional support provided by NJ.com. Small news, big news, true Jersey. And AM 970, the answer. Welcome to Think Tank, the podcast. I'm Steve Adubato. The program you're about to see was taped earlier this year. Clearly, so much has changed since then, and unfortunately, a lot of uncertainty and fear remain. But the content in this Think Tank podcast and the issues explored will still matter once we get through these very difficult times together. Most importantly, we hope and pray that you and your family are safe. So without further ado, Think Tank, the podcast. Welcome to Think Tank, the podcast. I'm Steve Adubato, along with my two colleagues, Mary Gamba and Laura Van Bloom. On this edition of Think Tank, the podcast, we talk with our friend Jens Odenart, who is from ADP and talks all about diversity and inclusion. He knows all about it. He's an expert on the subject. But Laura, let me ask you, diversity and inclusion, isn't it the same thing? He defines the difference between uh, diversity and inclusion as diversity is more of like a headcount. How many different types of people do you have working in your organizations? You know, I have Latinos or African-Americans or white people or gay people. What's inclusion? Inclusion is really the active uh, effort to make those folks of different backgrounds feel included so that they feel that they can be themselves in the workplace. So it's not just a headcount, but actual activity to get there. A few seconds here, uh, Mary. Why is being inclusive so important in the workplace? In order to have a cohesive team, everyone needs to feel like they're part of one unit. If you have a whole bunch of different silos and people working and operating on their own, you're not going to be a success in any business. You know what's interesting about this? We have a 10-person team, nine are women and one guy. And then, by the way, our production team is really terrific around here. It's a very diverse team. But all of any one thing, right, whether it's gender, race, a whole bunch of different things we look at here. Um, I don't know. It seems to me that what the argument being made by Jens Odenard here is that you don't get the totality of all the views that you need to get to make the best decisions. And there's a whole lot more with Jens Odenard. This is Think Tank, the podcast. I'm Steve Adubato. That's Mary. That's Laura. And this is Jens. Hi, I'm Eric. You might see me as an ordinary person, but I've been living with a brain injury for nearly two years. One of my struggles is short-term memory loss. At Opportunity Project, I'm given hope and support, and I've gained my commas back through the job placement program. Despite my challenges, I have a reason to keep improving. Today, even though life has changed me, I believe that anything is possible. If you have a brain injury, you don't have to face your road to recovery alone. I'm Steve Adubato. This is 101 coming to you from the Agnes Ferris NJTV studio. It is our pleasure to introduce Jens Odenart, who is Division Vice President and General Manager of Work Market ADP, which is? ADP is the leading human capital management provider uh, in the U.S. and abroad. And Work Market was a recent acquisition that allows companies to manage their freelance and independent contractor populations. And ADP is a big supporter of our programming in the area of diversity and inclusion. Let's talk about that. Absolutely. So, so here's the thing. There's an initiative at ADP. It's called ADP Pride. What is it, and what does that have to do with diversity and inclusion? Sure. Uh, so I have the pleasure and honor to be the executive sponsor for ADP Pride. It is one of our nine business resource groups 
uh, that really sits within the Office of Diversity and Inclusion. You're which, the executive sponsor. Correct. Go ahead. Which means I lead the group. And so uh, diversity and inclusion is a key priority for ADP. We think it's important for organizations to have a focus on having a welcoming uh, culture for all. We think it's very important to win in the talent marketplace. And as a provider of HR services to our clients, we also believe that it is our role and duty to educate our clients on the importance of diversity and inclusion. And then for specifically ADP Pride, LGBTQ diversity and inclusion. So for our lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer and questioning associates and communities. You know, we're taping this program. We always disclose when we tape, you see in the corner of the screen, on the 17th of September of 2019. It'll be seen after that. But in fact, on... The 11th of October is National Coming Out Day. Mm -hmm. Not only for that day, but for the entire month, ADP Pride does what? Uh, so we have a major campaign coming out in October. We actually have three campaigns throughout the year. There's a big one in June for Pride Month. Uh, October is a little bit more solemn. It's about National Coming Out Day and Spirit Day, where we will reach our 57,000 associates globally uh, with a message around those specific days. Um, National Coming Out Day is really about celebrating the visibility of the LGBTQ community. This kind of goes back to Harvey Milk. Come out, come out wherever you are. For those who don't know Harvey Milk, Google Harvey Milk, an iconic, important leader coming out of San Francisco, um, tragically killed by another member of that city council. Um, documentary on PBS, check it out, it's important. Pick it up from there. Yeah. So it's kind of the most foundational level of LGBTQ activism, if you will, is just being visible, right? Um, that was kind of the, the ground floor for and the Harvey modern... And was one of the first to do that, excuse me, to yep. way before Absolutely. anyone else was doing it. Absolutely, very that. courageous. So it's the ground level and it's the foundation of the modern gay civil rights movement, this you, if you will. And it's a very courageous step that LGBTQ people, even in today's day and age, and especially in some areas in the world, still have to undertake, right? And we really have to come out every day. But it's, it's a great uh, form of leadership as an LGBTQ person, and it's a great form of, of making yourself visible and kind of support those that maybe don't have it as easy to be out. So I think that's a very important uh, day to just remember the importance of being visible uh, as a community. And then Spirit Day, which is also in October, October 17th this year, is all around anti-bullying and really got started in the wake of a number of um, high school suicides because kids were being bullied for being different, for being LGBTQ. Uh, goes beyond LGBTQ, but it's really against bullying in the workplace, at school, in society. Are we doing you know, a good enough job or doing enough to protect folks in that community, in the LGBTQ community? We've made a ton of strides as a society, um, definitely here in the U.S. Um, there are still inequities based on the geographies in the U.S., and then internationally it's a different story, country by country. There's definitely still... Um, uh, countries and regimes that are very repressive uh, for their LGBTQ And some are opening and accepting and embracing. Absolutely. So some of them are really getting there. I think uh, the role that corporations can play uh, by really making it very accepted for everyone. Well, let's, let's, let's go into this further. Beyond public policy, beyond laws. What I'm curious about is you've differentiated between inclusion and diversity. Mm -hmm. and, and for a lot of folks, man, it's all the same thing. You don't see it that way? I don't see it that way. Um, I think they're both very important and they kind of go hand in hand. Diversity is really the what, 
It's kind of what you can measure. Do we actually have diverse talent coming into the door and can we track that? Mm. Um, I think inclusion is much more nebulous. It's the how. How do we actually make sure that sustainably we can be a diverse workplace where uh, differences in perspectives are being celebrated and differences in backgrounds? And so that's much more cultural. And it comes from the top, comes from a leadership position where a company states as its value, we embrace everyone. We want everyone bring their full authentic self to the workplace. And we actually appreciate mm. the, those differences in perspective. It's a, it's a value, it's a cultural value, um, which is much harder to attain than just the metrics of diversity. But they do go hand in hand. Sure. You know, there are some people, I'm sure, are watching right now, and I've heard some people say this, um, why, why do people need to self-identify in the workplace? Mm -hmm. What's the difference? Nobody asks anybody else. But it's a lot more complicated than that. And it's easy for someone who is straight, if you will, to say something like that, as opposed to someone who's been dealing with a whole range of issues impacting his or her life. Yeah, I think there's, there's really two levels of self-identification. It's about when you show up and you have conversations. Or, excuse me, their life as well. Yeah, absolutely. To be more inclusive, good, yeah, I'm sorry. That's a great pronoun. Um, it's about when you show up, and you have conversations with people, it's just being able to be yourself, right? Um, a lot of people focus on their time management, but it's also about energy management. And it takes a lot of energy for people to pretend to be someone they're not when they're in the workplace. So I think that's one important thing, why we should allow everyone to be who they are and identify as such in the workplace. They're more productive as well? Absolutely. Um, and they thrive and they become more successful if they can be their full selves. I think at a kind of macro level, an aggregate level, it's also about a community. And you know, people say it's kind of this truism, but um, you don't count unless you're counted. You don't count unless, unless you're counted. counted. And so a lot of companies track um, a wide range of statistics around their minorities. What's very interesting specifically around the LGBTQ community is that there's actually not that many companies that allow their employees to self-identify. And a lot of that is because there is no federal protection for LGBTQ employees. So the US compared to the rest of the world, there are no legal protections. That's correct. So the Civil from Rights workplace. Act. The Civil Go Rights ahead. Act does not include protection for LGBTQ employees. Is that the Civil Rights Act of 1964? Correct, yes. So in almost 30 states, you can be legally fired for being LGBTQ. You can also get evicted. So there's, even beyond the workplace, there is protections that are lacking. And so it's a very sensitive thing to actually track someone's LGBTQ status if they can legally get fired. Now, a lot of companies have their own non-discrimination policies that prevail the local laws. At a company like ADP, you cannot get fired based on your gender identity. But it's company by company. Orientation. But it's company by company. And so- Not by statute. Not by statute. And so as I mentioned before, we, um, as an HR company, we feel it's our duty to educate yeah. the market there. And so we actually now have products that our clients can use that allow them to track LGBTQ yeah. self-identification. Jens, um, we appreciate what you are doing, what your colleagues are doing, um, diversity, inclusion in the workplace, protecting people, making people feel very comfortable being who they are, fully who they are. Very well said. Thank you, Jens. Thank you very much, Steve. I'm Steve Adubato. We'll be right back right after this. When I started working with children with autism over 25 years ago, my mission began. Autism is a multifaceted spectrum condition, which challenges our system of standard norms. 
What autism has taught me is that there is no cookie cutter child. Our differences ought to be celebrated, not separated. So today, take a moment to say hi or smile at someone who might be a bit different. Acceptance starts with you. Think Tank with me, Steve Adubato, is brought to you by these public-spirited organizations. The Northward Center, the Healthcare Foundation of New Jersey, founded by the Jewish community. PSCNG, committed to providing safe, reliable energy now and in the future. TD Bank, MD Advantage Insurance Company of New Jersey. Berkeley College, education prepares us to reach our dreams. Be inspired and by the Fidelco Group. Promotional support provided by NJ.com, small news, big news, true Jersey, and AM 970, The Answer. Welcome to Think Tank, the podcast. I'm Steve Adubato. We're coming to you from East Main Media Studios in beautiful Little Falls, New Jersey. I'm joined in studio by my good friend and colleague, Jeanette Hoffman, Republican strategist uh, and president of Marathon Public Affairs and also can be seen on New Jersey Now every weekend on My9. Correct, And yep. also Chasing News, which is on Fox 5 and My9. Right, Fox 5 New York at 1 a.m. for all you insomniacs and My9 New Jersey at 11 p.m. Do you do the 1 o'clock a.m. Um, show live? No, I'm joking. No. <laughs> and by the way, I do have a life. <laughs> you do, and by the way, speaking of your life, because it is relevant to the program we're about to do, the segment that we're about to do with Dr. Duffna Lemish, who is a distinguished professor at the School of Communication and Information at Rutgers University, where I got my doctor. I just want to oh, good disclose for you. that. This Dr. is Dr. Adubato, should yes. we refer to you? Yeah, yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> but this is important because we're going to be talking about some research that Dr. Lemish has done on children's. Uh, television in the United States and Canada. You care about tele children's television because? I have four kids. Ages? So I have two teenagers, 15 and 13, and then I have two toddlers, <sighs> two and a half and one and a half. Huh? Yeah, yeah I'm, a, I'm a busy lady, Steve. We're doing a lot on work-life balance. How's that working yeah, for you? Yeah, it's... <laughs> out of balance? <laughs> it's a little out of balance right now, but that's okay. It'll, it'll, it'll sync up at some point. Well, we're only in balance here... When I'm 80. <laughs> yeah, right. Watch this corny segue. We're in balance here at Think Tank, the podcast, because of our underwriters. We want to thank our friends at Johnson & Johnson, the Russell Berry Foundation, the Terrell Fund, and our initiative right from the start. And Jay, actually go on our website right from the start. And Jay, it's all about... Uh, taking care of finding childcare for infants and toddlers, and also Horizon Blue Cross and Blue Shield. Let's set this up. All right. So Dr. Lemish, who is a distinguished professor at the School of Communication and Information at Rutgers, has done this extensive research on children's television in the U.S. and Canada. Mm -hmm. And she talks about the lack of diversity. She talks about how women are often viewed in yeah. weaker positions than men, uh, and a whole range of other issues. The main characters in children's television, disproportionately male. The LGBTQ representation does not exist. Yeah. Most characters are white, 65%. When faced with a problem, males are logical. Females use magic. Magic. What? I know. Come I on, know, that had to bother so you. Funny. Bothers me too. It, it did. It did. It bothered me, and a lot of this shocked me, honestly, Steve. Because you know, like the I, findings I kind in the of, research. Yes, yes. I kind of pay attention to what my what my kids watch, right? So the the kid, the babies, 
PBS exclusively because Thank PBS, you. I think, is the gold standard for children's television. I'm going to say it right now. Sesame Street, does it get any better for nope. diversity? 50-year anniversary of to our friends at Sesame Street. Go ahead. Right? I mean, especially when you talk about socioeconomics, they portray every different – I mean, you you see – you know, doctor the, – the doctor talked about the different wealth gaps that – you know, it's really just – she said most children's television portrays upper to middle class kids. But I think Sesame Street is different. It, it, you, you see a whole range of different socioeconomic backgrounds there. As well as – we actually did a special on this. Help me on this. Um, Lauren, didn't we do a special on Sesame Street has a, as a character who is the, who actually Julia. is? Julia. You're ahead of me. Yeah, she has autism. Right. Now, mm -hmm. who does that? Sesame Street does that. But That's how But there's not enough are. of that diversity, exactly. according to Dr. Lemish. And obviously, just we know that. Right. So, Steve, that's why I was shocked by this study, because my little ones primarily watch Sesame Street. So I didn't realize children's television is that bad, right? So I guess it's cable TV that really needs to get with it and stop portraying girls, especially as using magic to solve problems. And boys is just, you know, being smart and rational and using mm. logic. It's really, I mean, for we're going into 2020 to have that kind of a disparity. It's very unfortunate to me. Well, Jeanette, by the way, Jeanette Hoffman in the studio here with us. This is Think Tank, the podcast. Uh, but I want to break this down. What do you believe as we listen to Dr. As we're about to listen to Dr. Lemish from the School of Communication and Information at Rutgers University? Um, what do you think? And by the way, men dominate leadership roles in sure. children's television. What do you think the long-term ramifications and implications of this preponderance of television programming that just is very skewed? Yeah. I, I guess it's kind of like everything, right? I mean, we just, we need to do better in society and, and promoting women in leadership roles. It's like anything. It's like, you know, that's what the Girl Scouts do. That's it's, right. it's, it's, we need these more opportunities for, for girls to see themselves in leadership roles and children's television obviously needs to do better. And I think it's a really important study. It, it shapes, by the way, when you were a kid. Yeah. Do you remember what, my wife often says she loved the Brady Bunch. Love the Brady Bunch. You, you're a big Brady Bunch? Brady Bunch, Little House on the Prairie. I'm old school. <laughs> Hold on. The, yep. That was Michael, Michael Landon? Michael Landon, yeah. What did you like about that show? I, the, I, I really don't know. It was just probably I didn't have many choices on what was on TV. It was nothing like my family. I just want to say that. Little House on the Prairie? Nothing. I like Laura Ingalls Wilder. The screwed up house but, in Newark. But, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there's a female role model for you. She was the star. Who was Laura that? Laura Ingalls Wilder. Is that right? And she wrote all the books, right. And I read the books as well. Okay. So, so there's a female role model for you in children's television. And by the way, the other piece of this on diversity is interesting because, uh, again, disproportionately, the characters are white. Upper middle yeah. class. Well, that's not a surprise. Yeah, it's not at all. Uh, but Dr. Duffna Lemish is a distinguished professor at the School of Communication and Information at Rutgers University, my alma mater. Again, I want to thank the folks at uh, the Terrell Fund right from the start, and Jay, the Russell Berry Foundation, Johnson & Johnson, Horizon Blue Cross and Blue Shield. I want to thank um, our good friend Jeanette Hoffman, uh, who joins us here in the studio. We're about to listen to Dr. Lemish break it down. Thank you, Jeanette. Thanks, Steve. Check it out. Welcome to One on One. I'm Steve Adubato. This is our guest. She is Dr. Uh, Daphna Lemish, who is a distinguished professor at the School of Communication, Information, and Information at Rutgers University, which I know very well. Yes, I, you do. You're a graduate of our program. We're yeah. very, very proud of that. I will uh, disclose that. <laughs> I barely got out. <laughs> Let's do this. Take a look at this headline from our friends at the Star-Ledger. 
but this is reported in a lot of newspapers. What's on TV for kids? Not much diversity, and that is exactly what we're here to talk about. Doctor, you and your colleagues did a study. Yep. Children's television in the U.S. and in Canada, and you found some alarming things, particularly around the lack of diversity. Make mm -hmm. the case. Well, first of all, just to clarify, it's not just U.S. and Canada. It was an international study. U.S. and Canada was just part of it. So the issue we're talking about is, is global, international. Well, what we found was that still the television screens that our children are exposed to are dominated by white males from middle class. So, uh, enabled, that's another uh, uh, really important point to emphasize, that you don't see any children with any kind of disability or any kind of health issues. So, what we find is that you have a minority of, of females, which is still amazing, you know, 10 years a ago... A minority of well, females in this day and yes, age? Yes, which is amazing because we did a same, similar study 10 years ago, and we were sure that now, 10 years later, we'll find, you know, equality with everything that we've been discussing about gender equality in the last 10 years. Sure. So, it moved up from uh, females being 32% of all the characters on children's television to 38%. So we have a little progress, but if we wait for this pace of progress, it's going to take another 25 years to get to 50%. And how are women, how are girls portrayed versus boys in a lot of this programming so in terms of their power, their so, ability so to get things done? So that's a really important question because it's not only the number, it's also how they're portrayed. So we know the females, for example, tend to be more um, a, a, a followers rather than leaders. They tend to be in groups rather than be loners. The boys are more loners. They're kind of the top of the pyramid. They're, you know, higher, they, they compete. Are boys seen more they, as leaders? Boys are more thinkers. Three, time, three times as leaders. Also, they solve, boys solve problems using STEM. They're using uh, you know, technology, they're using science, they're using math, using engineering. And girls? Uh, magic. Magic? Magic, you know. Remember <laughs> the fairy with the fairy? Yes. So girls use their magic, their charms, their sexuality, whatever it is, to f solve problems, while boys use skills and they use uh, talent and they use rational. So those are all very old-fashioned kind of traditional doctor, stereotypes. Excuse me, if you're just listening to us on the audio side, this is Dr. Daphna Lemish from Rutgers University. They did an important study internationally on this. So what message does it send to girls as they watch well, this? By the way, we have an eight-year-old girl, uh, daughter, who watches, and I'm so, really concerned. You know, if you're not represented, if you don't see yourself, whether you're a girl, whether you're a person with, with disabilities, whether you're a minority person, when you don't see yourself, you imagine that all the exciting adventures, all the talented things, all the falling in love, all the good things that are happening to children <clears throat> are happening to white boys. And what about me? If I'm not represented, what does it tell me about my value in society? Uh, we keep saying that television is, is a school. It's an alternative school. It teaches our children about life. It is about what's valued in our society. It teaches about what it means to be a boy, what it means to be a girl, what's good, what's bad. It socializes I mean, them. It's, it's supposed to reflect social... society. And what about children who are, frankly, not very rich? Well, they're not represented. Were they represented? They're not represented because most of the stories are about middle class or middle and higher class children. And that's really a problem because we're not talking about representing poverty. I mean, it's, we're not talking about campaigns for, you know, with children starving in Africa with mosquitoes all over them. We're talking about children who are from different life circumstances mm. and still can be happy, can be talented, can be resilient, can be capable, can have, you know, good life. So you don't have to be middle class. You don't have to be rich to have a full, meaningful life. We're taping this program in New York, New Jersey at NJTV, you don't see a lot of kids from urban communities like Newark? Is that what no, you're saying? No, we don't. We don't see minorities. So what are they looking at? So, well, so kids in North Jersey City, Camden, Philadelphia, New York City, the Bronx, they Brooklyn, look they look, at, what do they see? They look at white middle class society and they think this is what life is and should be. And, and where do they fit in? They don't fit. 
And the interesting thing about it is, as I said before, this study has been done internationally. And because most of television that is, travels around the world is produced in the United States and other Western countries, so children around the world are watching American television. So you could be, in a, for example, you can be in Ghana where 95% of the population is black, yeah. is African, and you still see a society that is white. What about who's behind the scenes making this children's that's, programming? That's what does that very, reflect? That's very relevant because what we found in the study is that the majority of the people creating this content are males. So you have, especially in the directors... Shocking. Well... <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> I know. So, so they, what do they, make stuff about themselves or what, they the way bring, they see themselves? You know, they bring their perspective. They bring their life experience. Right. And that's what they know and that's what they think is normal. We also found... Talk about the value of diversity in the workplace. Go ahead, yeah, I'm sorry. So, so it's mainly the creators and the directors that are males, but also the writers and producers. You see a little bit more of uh, mixed teams, like you have mm. females and males together, but very few teams that are led by women. So it's still dominated by males. Um, and the other important point is that most of the television for children is fiction television. Out of it, most of the programs is animation. In animation, right. the, the profession of animation is highly dominated by males, and they produce whatever they believe, you know, is, is their life experience. Listen, I don't want to turn this into a commercial for public broadcasting for PBS, but PBS was examined here. Mm -hmm. And we've done a lot of collaborating with the Children's Television Network, the folks who make Sesame Street yeah. happen. And I know that uh, Julia is a character on Sesame Street mm -hmm. who has autism. Yes, uh, I think Down syndrome or autism? Well, she has autism. Autism, okay. And we've my, talked about this extensively. Okay, my mistake. Was PBS in any way different mm -hmm. in yes. children's program? Yes, PBS was different. PBS has a higher percentage of women in the workforce and also a better presentation and representation of females. For example, many of the female characters on television in PBS are leaders rather than followers, which is a very different result than from the other stations. And it's not, you know, when we talk about PBS, everybody talks about Sesame Street, which, of course, uh, you know, is a flagship of education. But it's a lot, a lot more. There's so many other programs that are being produced now that consider girls, that consider diversity. Uh, in terms of diversity, of race diversity, you see better, uh, in better representation in PBS than uh, commercial television. The LGBTQ so community? Oh, they don't exist? They don't? They don't exist in children's television. Yes, they don't exist in children's television, just like, uh, um, you know, poor children don't exist and people, children with disabilities don't exist. They don't exist. It's a in children's, but they exist. Well, of course they exist. But they in exist children's in television, large numbers, it's isn't it? In children's television, it's taboo. We just had a big scandal of... Yeah, we just had a big scandal about this recently um, and in a program that did uh, present some kind of uh, a mixed marriage, uh, uh, one sex, you know, uh, same-sex marriage. And that was, was controversial? Huge, and that was a huge controversial well, I, I, children's I, I, television. We watch Modern Family with our children, yeah. and I'm thinking to myself, that's not, that's a commercial, well, that's not even public broadcasting. Children, children's I mean, television is quite conservative in that regard well, and in other areas as well. So it that's adults' not, programming, and I'm referring to with Modern Family. Children's programming, what is it, draw yeah. a line and say we're not talking about yes. this? That's absolutely true. I, in one of my studies, I interviewed producers, and that was their argument, that they do not show uh, at all, do not touch this topic because it's taboo, and they're going to get terrible uh, 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 you know, responses to that. We have uh, just a minute or so left. Dr. Uh, Lemish, from uh, distinguished professor from Rutgers University, from the program that I was proud to graduate yes. from. <laughs> I'm going to ask you something before you leave. What are we supposed to do now? Now that you've well, done this study, what are we supposed to do? Well, I'll tell you what we do. First of thing is, like you said, you graduate from our program, is that we educate and train the next generation of people in the media to be aware of issue of race, of uh, diversity, and all kinds of human uh, demographics and human characteristics. And we hope that they will be leading a different kind of, of screen in the future. That's one direction. 
programs like this, you know, raise awareness of the public that this is an issue. Just talking about it, exposing Talking it. about it and selectively watching programs that do show diversity and not watching programs that don't. I mean, we know this industry is based on ratings, and if you just don't watch programs that you think are not representing your world and not yeah. representing the values mm -hmm. you believe in, you don't watch them. And if you don't watch them, there is power there. Final comment on our end. I appreciate what you said about ratings, but in public broad broadcasting, we are blessed to be able uh, to do programming that makes a difference. Um, we would love to have more people watching, but ratings do not drive what we do. I, I uh, do but know. we're fortunate enough to yeah. raise the money to make it happen. I do Dr. Uh, Duffna Lemish, distinguished professor, had a great program. It yeah. is the School of Communication Information at uh, the State University of Rutgers University. I want to thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Well done. I'm Steve Adubato. This is One on One. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Eric. You might see me as an ordinary person, but I've been living with a brain injury for nearly two years. One of my struggles is short-term memory loss. At Opportunity Project, I'm given hope and support, and I've gained my comments back through the job placement program. Despite my challenges, I have a reason to keep improving. Today, even though life has changed me, I believe that anything is possible. If you have a brain injury, you don't have to face your road to recovery alone. The essence of the Northward Center is ingrained in our values, thoughts, and actions. What began as a storefront on Bloomfield Avenue has evolved into a life-changing community nonprofit. The mansion is steeped in tradition, but with all of its grandeur, the true essence of the Northward Center is in the people we serve. So as the Northward Center commemorates 50 years of service, let's also celebrate the many opportunities yet to come. Think Tank with me, Steve Adubato, is brought to you by these public-spirited organizations. The Northward Center, the Healthcare Foundation of New Jersey, PSENG, TD Bank, MD Advantage Insurance Company of New Jersey, Berkeley College, and by the Fidelco Group. Promotional support provided by NJ.com and AM970, The Answer. Transportation provided by Airbrook Limousine, serving the metropolitan New York, New Jersey area.